I have called you all here today at the behest of Don DiManzo to discuss the expansion of our Jersey territory. Our Don has seen an opportunity to move into Atlantic City at an event called AC Boardwalk Con, which will be happening May 14th through the 17th, 2015. Don DiManzo has asked that some of our made men attend this convention and convince the locals to try two true freaks. Joining me, Gene Hendricks, on this trip will be my Quantum Cast cohort, Jeff Fishman. Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero, will be representing the Boston arm of the family, while Scott McGregor will be representing the New York branch. Our capo, Chris Honeywell, will also be there to provide some added... persuasion. Your Don has asked that any of his loyal friends in the area come and pay their respects to this new endeavor. He reminds you that all the information on the event can be found at doacbc.com. That's doacbc.com. Come help us make Atlantic City an offer they can't refuse. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hard-working people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. This looks like a job for Superman. Let's roll! Hey! Let's hear it for Captain America! Gentlemen, you're up. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Comics Monthly Monday, number 69, dudes. 69, dudes! I'm... Chris Honeywell, Captain Carrot, and I'm here with the zoo crew, Michael Bailey. I am not Yankee Poodle. I am not Yankee Poodle. I will be Pig Iron. Oh, I will be Rubber Duck. You Yankee Poodle, G.I. Joe. <laughs> and you Scott. son of a bitch. <laughs> Scott Gardner. Hello. How goes it? It's pretty well, actually. It's been a... It's... It's been an interesting conversation leading up to this. Yeah. Well, yes, <laughs> an interesting conversation that I hope none of makes it into this show. So. Oh, okay. Well, you just made my editing job a lot easier. <laughs> we'll let them just wonder what we're giggling about. Well, you know, when 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 you do a podcast, it's always good to sort of warm up in the beginning and 
sometimes you warm up with talking about food. Sometimes we seem to warm up talking about boobs. I had, I had Popeyes tonight, by the way. Mm. I like your Popeyes. <laughs> they like kick all of KFC's ass as far as fast food fried chicken. And 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 the and the guy who manages the one I go to is like super on the ball. Like I have like whenever he's on duty, <laughs> I said duty. Uh, whenever he's on duty, uh, like all the orders get filled within seconds. Whereas usually you're waiting around for like a long ass period of time for some reason. So he's but, been eating know. his spinach. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Weird. Why are none of the sides at Popeye's spinach? That's what I don't understand. Well, because spinach tastes like shit. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it's Popeye's. They would take it, and they would mix it with an incredible amount of cheese and bacon grease, and it would be yeah, delicious well, spinach. That's the only way I'd ever eat spinach. <laughs> In we were having, uh, just the other day at work, everybody was having one of those, like, Homer Simpson, like, conversations about uh, Popeyes. And just, the, it was focused with razor preci- laser precision on Popeyes biscuits. Just the biscuits. Well, uh, they're biscuits really alone. good. I mean. <laughs> yes, they are. Like, and, and the best thing is, is that, you know, we always try to get, like, the six-pack so that you can have it for breakfast the next morning. You pop those things in the microwave for, like, ten seconds, they're perfect. They're, like, like we're coming right out of the oven perfect. Because they have so. so much oil inside of them that it heats <laughs> up and fluffs them back up in deliciousness. <laughs> it's, it's, know. it's one of the few places that I really like that fake butter flavor. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't mind it on, like, popcorn and on Popeye's biscuits, and especially on the biscuits because it's not just the butter flavor. It's, like, concentrated butter flavor all the way through the biscuit, <laughs> all through every single little flaky layer of the biscuit. Ah. <sighs> We have made so many listeners happy by starting off talking about food. <laughs> I know they're in a car somewhere with their stomach going like, blah, 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 well, head- I am really excited to get to this month because over the past uh, couple of weeks, I have uh, joined the Scott Gardner, um, Scott Gardner, Chris Honeywell, getting shit in the mail club Ooh. <laughs> um, from people. Mark Kambach not only sent me um, a really nice uh, an issue of Amazing Heroes with a Terry Austin Metal Men cover. Ooh. Uh, part of Amazing Heroes where it was more magazine sized, whereas later it was more comic book sized. Mm-hmm. He also sent me a bunch of prints and colored prints and black and white prints and all kinds of stuff of the artwork he's done of me over the past year or so. Uh, and this is the... He did a three-page comic strip of me getting ready for Black Friday, and I had, uh, like, Sinestro and Captain Cold and Lex Luthor and Black Adam all backing me up. Uh, those are great. He has that, that thing of us doing crisis number four, Scott, mm-hmm. uh, that he posted that I, that I really liked. I don't know if you liked it, but I, I thought it was great. Uh, it was you and me doing the Supergirl Batgirl conversation from crisis number four. Um, 
and a bunch of other stuffs, and I just, it just blows me away, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way, that somebody has actually taken the time to draw me in a comic environment. I'm surprised it's taken so long, to be honest with you, because I'm usually lying. <laughs> but, so I really appreciated that. And then I was uh, talking on, on Facebook that I have been kind of working on getting a collection of DC event trade paperbacks, like Crisis and Legends and all that kind of stuff. And one of the ones that I was kind of looking for that I was uh, that I could find, but I just wasn't ready to pull the trigger on it yet, was Joker's Last Laugh. Uh, which was kind of a mediocre one. Um, but it was written by Chuck Dixon, so it was kind of worth it. Well, Neil Whitney, one of my Facebook friends, listeners to uh, listener to, uh, to some of the shows that I do, just up and sent it to me. Just sent the trade paperback. He said, hey, do you want this? And, and I have a rule now that I will always, you know, ask the question, how much do you want it for? And if they say it's free, I don't argue past that point. You know, yep. I'm just, you know, I, <laughs> I've done my, I, I believe I've done my duty. And if they want to do it, I'm not going to argue with them. You know? I never even have a conversation. I just absorb it. Oh, <laughs> uh, suck it right into, into the vacuum. Thank you. And I've also been kind of trying to fill in my Green Lantern trade paperback collection. And for whatever reason, the trade paperbacks, and we've kind of talked about this in the past, the, the trade paperbacks that of the Judd Winnick run of Green Lantern are insanely expensive on eBay, like $30, $40, $50, and going for that price, not just that's what somebody put up there. That seems to be their going price. Uh, well, Steve McQueen, uh, another person who is a friend of mine on Facebook, said, you know, I have that. You want it? And it's it's on its way right now. It hasn't gotten here yet, but uh, so it's it's. Uh, I kind of feel like you guys right now. It's sort of getting it, all it's, the free stuff. It's sort of funny how it's been. It's been a dry spell for me. Maybe my attitude isn't helping any, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 always just great to get unexpected stuff in the mail. A package from Mark Kambach is always a cause for celebration anytime. Well, a couple of things I also wanted to mention that I've gotten recently. Um, there is a trade paperback out there uh, called Superman vs. Mongol that I just happened upon seeing, found it for a really good price. It is all of the DC Comics Presents issues with Mongol in them uh, from before the crisis. So it's a lot of Len Wein, Jim Starlin, Paul Levitz is writing it. Of course it has uh, for the man who has everything. But I am just really impressed that they decided seemingly out of nowhere to reprint all of those DC Comics Presents issues. Because outside of the Showcase Presents stuff, DC Comics Presents has not really been reprinted all that much. Uh, so to see a nice uh, was kind of cool. And... Are there that many of them though? Because I I can only think of just just a couple of them. I mean, there's the original one because I I think didn't he first appear in a? It was like Superman and Supergirl, wasn't it? The first uh, one. It was from... DC Comics Presents number twenty seven had Martian Manhunter in it. Okay, yeah, I remember that one. 
and 28 had Supergirl. Uh-huh. And then the story kind of resolved itself in 29 with the Spectre. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't realize it went that far. Okay. And then there's number 36, which had the alien Starman. And 43, which had the Legion of Superheroes. And for the man who... uh, And Superman Annual number 11. So it's it's Hmm. got like five or six stories in it. Wow. Yeah, I, I was uh, when I when Andy Leyland and I did did something with a with a British annual that reprinted that stuff. I was kind of doing the research and didn't realize the appearances as he had, and then I realized, well, it's almost like Alan Moore just picked this really obscure Superman villain to put in for the man who has everything, and probably told one of the best stories about the character with that. So, mm-hmm. uh, just excited about this on a conceptual level. I'm not actually all that hot on the story itself, but I'm kind of fascinated that they released a trade paperback of all of the Superman strips from Action Comics Weekly in a collection called The Power Within. Hmm. Uh, He had the middle... He had a two-page thing in every issue of Action Comics Weekly, written by Roger Stern with art by Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson. And the story was so-so, but... I, w- I-, I saw that they were going to release this, so I just waited to see if it was actually going to happen. I have my copy. It's got a Carrie Gamble cover from Action Comics Weekly of all these people in purple robes surrounding Superman and worshiping right. him. Right, um, yeah. And it also reprints the Sinbad contract three-parter that ran in Superman, Adventures of Superman, and Action right before Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite and the engagement of Lois and Clark. So it's just like, who thought to put that trade together? You know, it's just, it's it's kind of like this forgotten little nugget of the post-crisis Superman. But anytime they put something post-crisis Superman in a trade paperback, I buy it because, you know, I I'm surprised they've gone as far into the man of steel uh, series as they have. They're up to volume eight on that now. Uh, which went all the way up to Action Comics number 600. And then they put out Dark Knight over Metropolis in a trade paperback about a year or so ago, uh, also reprinting the first Action Comics annual uh, where Batman and Superman fought that uh, vampire named Skeeter. So so now they put this out. So just maybe what I really want is them to finish out the burn run of Superman in trade paperback form. I just I want to see that happen. I think, you know, yeah, I'd like them to go beyond that. But if all of the burn stuff could be out there in trade paperback, I'd be a very happy Superman fan. When and that's met, pretty much all I got. When I met um, Murphy Anderson back in the '80s, he was right in the middle of that run on Action Comics Weekly. He was very proud that he was working on that during that time. I actually have an issue or two of that where he signed the the centerfold in the section because it was always right in the middle of the book mm-hmm. that uh you know because it was a two-page spread like a like an old like sunday's comics type of thing right in the middle well you know action comics weekly gets kind of a bad rap but there were some really good strips in that mm-hmm. book the green lantern stuff was more often than not good the black hawk stuff was fantastic uh with art by rick burchette uh mm-hmm. and Dead Man had a pretty good strip in there for a while. I don't you know, remember later, the 
I don't remember the Blackhawk. The ones I remember is I, I definitely remember um, Dead Man. I remember there was a really good Captain Marvel one, and the um, mm-hmm. the uh, the Nightwing one was pretty good yes. as well. Uh, I believe they have reprinted that stuff, or they're about to uh, put all that stuff in a. Tra- is that a lot of that stuff now gets in a trade paperback form? Because yeah, <laughs> finding back issues of Action Comics Weekly is easy now uh i see it a lot in 50 cent boxes oh is it so uh yeah actually surprisingly in this area at least uh but you know there's a lot of forgotten stuff in that series because i didn't buy it when it came out because i wasn't really going to a comic shop on a regular basis and the newsstands did not carry action comics weekly the only place i really ever saw it was uh and it's funny that you mentioned the captain marvel strip is I remember at my orthodontist's office they had a subscription to it, so hmm. I I remember re- like gathering all of the Captain Marvel issues together so I could read that because I was such a fan of the Shazam: The New Beginning miniseries, mm-hmm. and I was happy to see it go any farther than that. But I thought it was a really cool take on Captain Nazi. Yeah, I was just going to say that was the that was the thing I always remembered it best for was that it, it brought back Captain Nazi. But if I remember properly, that was all kind of swept under the rug when they uh, when they did the Power Shazam, the ongoing, because they brought him back again. But I don't think they ever referenced the Action Comics Weekly. It was like it was just forgotten. And that but was post zero hour, too. So it was kind right. of like the time period you could do that with. So right. uh, I I ultimately think that what we got with Power of Shazam was just as good as anything we would have gotten from Roy Thomas. I, I think they're they're kind of equal footing on, on, on that terms. And, and reading some of the concepts that Roy Thomas had for that, it was going to be kind of a bizarre ongoing series. Mary mm-hmm. Marvel was going to be kind of a punk chick <laughs> in her human form. Uh, and he was going to uh, bring back the idea of having Freddie Freeman be a black kid in a wheelchair who becomes Captain Thunder, hmm. uh, which was an idea he was kicking around with Don Newton, I believe. So there, there was an issue of Alter Ego where he went into all of the what-ifs and ideas he's had, and it was filled with sketches and like unseen artwork and stuff and just, you know, like all of the, well, if I had continued on with this, this is what I would have done type of thing. Right. So, uh, so I was particularly interested in the Captain Marvel stuff and don't know if it would have lasted (laughs) if he had gone forward with it in all honesty. Well, it's funny. Um, It's uh, a lot of those ideas were kind of paralleled with some of the things that Byrne wanted to do as well. There's an issue of, uh, I think it's back issue mm -hmm. that devotes quite a bit to, uh, to Byrne's ideas for the character when there was a time when, I mean, that was very close to fruition to actually happening where Byrne was going to, was going to be the regular writer artist on Captain Marvel. Yeah. And the only thing uh, that stopped it was, uh, he wanted it to be separate from the DC universe. Yeah. Uh, I've never known how to feel about that, you know, that it didn't happen. Because on the one hand, I'm like, damn, this would have been awesome. You know, Byrne working on one of my absolute favorite characters and all that. But the thing that that ended up scuttling the entire project would have been the thing that would have been the big hang up for me had it actually happened, which was he wanted to keep it removed from the DC universe proper, which to me, that's that was the whole point of crisis was to bring these worlds all together. You know, yeah. so that every all the all the players were in the same sandbox. So 
in a way, I'm kind of glad that that didn't happen. But then again, you know, we haven't that that's this is the weird thing is after all the trouble it was and, and all the history between, you know, DC and, and Fawcett and everything else. And they finally acquire Captain Marvel and then they don't hardly ever use him. You know, it's always fits and spurts here and there, but that's it. You know, he hasn't really had much of anything. I mean, outside of Power Shazam, which, you know, I mean, that that did have a a pretty decent run. I I tend to give that one kind of short shrift, I guess, because I found it sadly lacking. But, you know, you have to give it its kudos, though. It it still ran what, like four years, I think? 48 issues, yeah, almost 50, and had a couple annuals. No, the funny thing is, is that DC, unlike the quality heroes and eventually the Charlton heroes, excuse me, uh, DC for the longest time was just licensing Captain Marvel. Mm -hmm. They didn't flat out own them, which is why they didn't do as much with them uh, in the seventies and eighties as they could. Right. By the time they had the opportunity to do whatever they really wanted to with it, no one could get it to work. And I really don't understand that because to me, Captain Marvel is a pretty simple concept, you know? Yep. He is, he is like Superman in that he flies and has super strength and bullets bounce off of him, but he is like the ultimate wish fulfillment character. He's a little kid or a teen play it that could become a super powered adult. And Roy Thomas, I think did a pretty decent modernization in a new the shazam the new beginning which is a four issue miniseries i still think we need to cover at some point uh, Uh, yeah i'd be down for that um but after it's like he was in justice league and was played as like the ultimate goody goody and then he had the action comics weekly thing and then he was part of war of the gods and it's just like he never really they never really did anything until jerry ordway took it and and made power of Shazam something. And then for a little while there, he was a big, he was a big part of the DC universe. And then after that series ended, he was in JSA and I really liked him in JSA because he was there to keep an eye on black Adam. But after infinite crisis, they just screwed that character all to hell. That entire concept outside Mm -hmm. of black Adam just completely fell apart. I agree. Yeah, they they took him so far afield of his, you know, of everything he had ever been. Yeah, yeah. that's the 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 present incarnation of it is something I I can't I just can't get into it. It just it doesn't even feel like the same thing to me. Well, there really isn't any present incarnation of it at this point. Well, no, there is. I I, I for some reason I'm forgetting Shazam, which I really don't know how to feel about. Um, so. I think it's best I don't get into it. Otherwise, this is going to get into like a a negative fest. It's best I feel nothing. (laughs) (laughs) What do you guys got? Oh, you you want me to go next? Go ahead, man. I've only got one comic. But. Wow, what happened to your collection? Well, only one comic to talk about in my what's new in comics. (laughs) <laughs> thing. Although, you know, I mean, I talked about the other comic that I bought recently, which was Star Wars number one, and I always buy The Walking Dead, so I don't even mention that. But I, I acquired a new comic today, or not today, but in the recent recent uh, past, showed up in my bathroom. And, uh, well, permission to speak candidly. 
<laughs> Granted. Thank you. Um, finally, after like a couple years of trouble and strife, finally got rid of my asshole jerk off scumbag roommate. Kicked his ass out of the house, moved out, finally packed up his shit, don't let the door hit you on the ass, and then the door's locks are changed. I'd go into it more, but you know, it's Comics Monthly Monday. I'm trying to keep it kid friendly because <laughs> it's a okay. kid friendly comic. But he left behind a comic book, and now it's mine. All mine. And that comic book is The Adventures of Kool-Aid Man <laughs> number two. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let me th- see if I remember this one. He's busting through a wall of a spaceship, and the Thirsties are at the controls, right? Is that the one? No. Nope. No. Number, All right. This is number two. He's okay. busting through the door of a time machine with two little kids inside, sort of Doctor Who-like, with some thirsties scattering in front of him, and the classic, oh, what the hell do they call the, the painting with the Pfeiffer the, and the two drummers and the flag, you know? Sort of USA oh, of Archie yes. style. They're coming yeah, out know, of colonial yeah, times. Yeah, I know the one you mean. And them just sort of with a what the hell look on their face as, of course, a giant mug is coming out and menacing. Well, you know what the Thirsties look like. Everybody knows what the Thirsties look like. They were one of the most popular characters in American culture. So we won't go into that. Scott, you and I have fought the Thirsties many, many times on your Atari 2600. And kicked their asses, too. Mm-hmm. I do have this one. I'm looking at I'm looking at the cover image of it now, but I, I had many more copies of uh, of the other one where, where he's busting into the into the wall of the spaceship. But oh, yes, I, I, I remember you you were a you were a you you were a Kool-Aid drinker at your house. You were drinking the Kool-Aid back then, man. <laughs> and, uh, even even so, so far back as that, yes. Yeah. And uh, and so, like, I remember you were just, I remember you were laughing your ass off, but you're like, I'm going to get the Kool-Aid Man comic. And you sent in all the proof of purchases or whatever you had to do to get the Kool-Aid Man comic to get it, you know, it was probably the cost of a, what, five cent stamp or whatever. Something like that, yeah. But it says up in the corner, a 60 cent value, just so you know. <laughs> there's one of these, I'm not sure which one it is, but there's one of these that's actually written by a by a big name writer. The I want to say Kurt Busick, but I could be wrong. But That wouldn't yeah. surprise me. He started out kind of, uh, he started out doing like really small stuff like that. Oh, Mike, don't get down on Kool-Aid, man. I actually have, like, a Kool-Aid comic. <laughs> Why am I getting down on Kool-Aid, man? Oh, it's small stuff, man. Look at the size of that thing. You know, when I go to the Richard Donner-directed Kool-Aid Man, the movie, then oh I... God, I would go see that. <laughs> I think everybody would go see that, in all honesty. Because your teaser trailer is just a brick wall, and you hear boom, boom. <laughs> And then it explodes, and, and he, he walks in and goes, Oh, yeah, bitches! No. I want to see, oh, <laughs> yeah, man. coming at me in that blocky letter style, like Superman the movie, like flying past the screen with a... <laughs> and a John Williams soundtrack blaring. But you oh also hear, God, like, the clink, clink, clink of ice in a glass, you know? 
yeah, tell so, me that wouldn't tell me that wouldn't make money. That would actually, make money. Actually, I would not want that, Scott, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> Years ago, uh, my wife and I went to the movies. I forget what we were seeing, but there was a trailer that had clouds and it was something flying through the clouds and they had kind of Superman music type playing and they kind of made it seem like it was a Superman trailer and it was that god-awful CGI Rocky and Bullwinkle film. Oh, yes. Yes, I and remember I, that. Yeah. And I felt so betrayed by that that, yeah, I, I have to I have to disagree with that on principle. If they, <laughs> if they could make a Kool-Aid movie... On the par with the Lego movie, it would be like one of the the s film achievements of a lifetime. Dude, look <laughs> at some of the shit movies that they've come out with <laughs> yeah, CGI no in the past. I mean, they've had Garfield and Yogi Bear and the friggin' Smurfs got a sequel. Two and chipmunks. All these... So if, yeah, no, exactly. Three, so, three chipmunks. Oh my, three of them? Oh, underdog yes. i mean if they can do all that shit why can't we have a kool-aid man movie seriously the, the congress did pass the law that another chipmunk movie could not be made up lest <laughs> chris honeywell have a coronary or an aneurysm of some sort so they can make one but i have to direct and write it <laughs> that would be the darkest chipmunk oh movie God. ever oh yeah <laughs> it would simon would be strung out on heroin that would be so long, as the, so long as somewhere in it you get the line, yeah, yeah, Jesus Christ, that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, man. <laughs> that was my favorite part of the Christmas special this year. Yeah, but I have a good, good story. But this is this is one of those comics. It's beat to shit, but it doesn't matter. It's got a great story on it, and to plug way into the future, the ne the next storyteller. Well, it's not the next, but the next storyteller after that is going to be I've decided to combine since they're both bad roommate stories both my most horrible roommate stories in the house I'm living in now into one two-part episode which will be part one will be I made C-3PO cry and <laughs> part two will be like called something like I lost access to the secrets of the universe through cognitive dissonance but acquired a Kool-Aid man comic <laughs> So there you go. That's <laughs> follow that, Scott. Oh, bam, 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 bam. Superman. <laughs> I was trying to look up here, but my for some reason my internet's running a little bit slow. But I was trying to find is is that a the, the deal? Raid? No, 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 no. Trying to find the details on the Kool Aid Man comic because I want. Damn it. Okay, it has I'm very not... Archie-like art in it. It might be somebody who is involved with Archie in some... I don't know, but it's Marvel. Yeah, I'm finding nothing. I got nothing for Kool-Aid. It's, it's just but, yeah, the I'd most swear blatant ad. I mean, on the cover, you got Kool-Aid Man and two Thirsties. Each Thirsty has a trademark mark on his feet, and Kool-Aid's Man's got a trademark on it. All the little puzzles spell out stuff like, Kool-Aid will make you gain puberty <laughs> quicker, and... 
back at the end, it tells you how to, you know, it gives you instructions on how you can set up your own booth to sell. Hey, Kool-Aid. Well, I don't really, I don't have any new comics to talk about. I really haven't gotten much of anything new lately other than, uh, you know, I picked up the Star Wars number one when it came out. And you can hear all about that on uh, Growing Up Star Wars. Uh, I have been picking up the Star Trek Planet of the Apes. Have you been picking that up, Chris? No, no. I'm meaning to go to the comic shop soon because I have a whole list. And Hope Mullinex gave me a list of stuff to check out, too. That I'm so and that, but the they 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 will have those Star Trek. Those are IDW, right? They are. I want to say yes. I think that's right. I think it is IDW. But uh, my comic shop is great because all the start they get all the Star Trek IDW stuff. Nobody seems to want it. It just sits there waiting for me. So. See, I, I've been thinking about that. I'm like, am I being stupid to rush right out and get these as soon as they come out? Because, you know, part of me thinks that they're going to end up being, you know, they'll, they'll wind up in the cheap bins like a lot of that stuff does. But I'm so intrigued by the concept. You know, I mean, this was something that back during Apes Month we brought up in conversation. Yeah. Why hadn't these two franchises ever crossed over so i you know in a weird sort of way i want to like claim responsibility for this miniseries you know like we invented that you know i mean i know it's not true but it almost feels that way because we had just talked about it and then boom it gets released you know or it gets announced so i'm telling you it's our they gotta listen to us nerds we know (laughs) everybody's on the uh, on the grammys pretending jeff going nuts over jeff lynn we were sitting around in high school listening to our yellow Oh, yeah. While they mocked us. <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you this. Don't you think that we should take this opportunity and have a couple, like, crossovers between various um, various uh, publishers? I mean, shouldn't Dynamite and Marvel get together for the Incredible Hulk $6 million man crossover that we never got? <sighs> that would be great. That would be freaking awesome. Would love and, that. And, uh, you know, just like even like subtitled the, sh- the six million dollar man loses an arm. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> doubt. He rips that thing right out of its socket. <laughs> but no, seriously, stuff like that. Uh, there was another one that somebody brought up recently that I thought was like an incredible idea. Uh, and now it's just escaped me. But it's just like taking these, you know, taking these. 70s TV shows that we loved and that Mike posted most of the theme songs to, uh, you know, it's just and just kind of mixing them up. I I just I think the phrase I'm looking for is you're leaving money on the table, publishers, because people will buy this stuff. They really will. I'd love Mm -hmm. to see an incredible Hulk comic that was just its own continuity that was the bill that was just done with season six with bill bixby yeah 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 and luffer and luffer igno hulk even because i don't know how it did i I don't know how successful it was or if it's still running or what but there was a six million dollar man series fairly recently that was the the next series or you know the next season past where it actually was with the tv show they could do that with a with a Hulk comic easily. That would you know, be fun, but, and and it would have its own. You know, you could you would have a format for it. You know, it would just be yeah, fun. It would be fun. Yeah. And and you know, go, go even further. I mean, we've got we've got Wonder Woman seventy seven out now, uh, Batman sixty six. Both of those seem to be doing quite well. 
uh, why not? And and Bob Fisher mentioned this on his on his show recently. Why not like an Adventures of Superman fifty six or fifty seven? Yeah. You know, and you guys you know, can all thank us later when they come out with this stuff. <laughs> I mean, seriously, with the digital first format, you know, doing as well as it seems to be doing. You're, you're, there's really no excuse to not do stuff like this. You can always publish a trade of it later, which is actually kind of preferable when you think about it. Uh, that you know, because some people don't want to read on. Uh, I'm just waiting till I get my tablet. I'm really. <laughs> it's going to be a really weird day when that happens too. Let me tell you, because it's going to be me looking at my tablet and me looking at all the comics that I've bought just to buy over the years. Me looking at my tablet. Me looking at those comics. Yeah. And then suddenly I'm like Angela walking away from a flaming pile of comics. I think that is a really intriguing idea, though, because some time ago I remember having the thought, you know, how, how fun would it be to go back in Superman history uh, of like Superman media, you know, Superman in other media and examine like what happened to particular incarnations of Superman, you know, like what happened to the Fleischer Superman eventually? Yeah. You know, what happened to the George Reeve, uh, George Reeves Superman from the adventures of Superman TV show. And, and basically like tell those stories because they were very rooted in, in the era in which they took place, you know? So of course we know what became of, the the actors that played the parts but what happened to the actual characters themselves once the show went off the air you know what became of that superman and and his world and so i think that would be a very interesting concept to to go back into that you know in in comic book form and continue the story but also maybe eventually even kind of end the story tell you know what what became of that particular version of the character i think that'd be a really interesting idea i think that'd be a lot of fun to check something like that out i've got because you know doing it retrospectively like that now you can incorporate you know real world events and things like that into the entire history and sure. i think that could be really interesting well and it's neat too cuz you have in a, with all of them you have like these really distinct visual styles and mm-hmm. you know storytelling styles that you could emulate and it yeah it would be really cool it would be fun to do it, at least on a limited basis you know for a limited run or something mhm i got one for you scott Shazam Isis 75 Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, with Mentor. Yes. Shit, that's what I, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's something I wanted to uh, to bring up in this. I kept thinking there was with, something with I Arc, wanted to mention. With Arc 2 as a backup story. There's a, there's a podcast that just started yeah. up. Um, by John Drew, who does yeah. uh, the Cyborg podcast, and he does the Bat, the Batcave podcast. Mm-hmm. Hell of a nice guy. Met him at DragonCon last year. I've uh, I don't know how many episodes they have out. I've just heard the zero uh, episodes so far, and I was blown away w- uh, by it because the zero episode was basically giving the premise of what the series was going to be about. But then the rest of it was uh, replaying um, an interview that they had done on oh God. What is the name of their show? Um, Chronic Rift. Chronic Rift. And it was an interview with a couple of guys and Jackson Jackson Bostwick, who was the first Captain Marvel on the old Shazam TV uh, series. 
Oh my God. It was really, really good stuff. I mean, very riveting, very, uh, you know, informative, but just a hell of a lot of fun. Did he mention Mark Harmon? Yes. And I, I never heard that before. I did not know that, uh, Mark Harmon was up for the role. I thought that was really interesting, but it was good stuff. I mean, uh, you know, if you, if you just want to hear a really good interview with somebody that's not going to give you the standard gee that was a long time ago i really don't remember no he remembers you know he's got very vivid memories he tells really good stories he's not afraid to dish a little dirt and i i found it fascinating i really did because it was listening to that show and and especially the things the other people in the conversation were saying about how influential this show was on their lives as young children that really made me realize, you know, really in, in a way that I guess I never really consciously thought about it before that that show was very formulative for me as a kid in, in developing my sense of like, you know, right and wrong and good and evil and things like that. And I, and it was really fun to listen to that Which and realize it was made for too. It, it, that's exactly what it was. And, and just realizing the whole history of the show, how it came about a lot of things that I did not know about. I mean, Jackson was very influential in the construction of that show. I mean, the whole thing where, where Marvel or one of the other characters would come out at the end of the show and basically like give you the moral of the story that was his idea based on things that he had grown up with, like with the Lone Ranger and things where those characters mm-hmm. would come out at the end of the show and do much the same thing. And I didn't ever realize that, but that was actually one of those things that I always liked best about the show where Cap would come back out at the end and talk to you and yeah. basically say, did you catch this? This is would, what this was really about. He would literally say like, hi, kids, you know, you yeah. see the that you see the bad people sometimes act like good people and will tell you blah, blah, blah. Hi. Today you saw why everyone should be given a chance to prove his or her abilities. Don't put someone down just because they're different from you. And don't put a girl down just because she's a girl. When a person's talents are wasted, it's a loss to all of us. See you next week. Am I remembering correctly that they shot all of those like in one afternoon? Yeah, yeah, that's what uh, you said. The thing, yeah, they were all done at one time years ago, and I forget where it was. Uh, it might be in that epilogue uh, compilation I have, uh, but I, I read like an extensive interview with him uh, about his time as captain, which is where I found out the Mark Harmon thing. This is back in the nineties, uh, and hearing that they just shot all of those tags and keep in mind, I have seen one episode of this show because it has hardly ever been in reruns where I've had cable like TV land showed it at like three o'clock in the morning at one point. And as much as I would love to buy it, you know, the DVD box set, which you can get through Warner archives uh, they're really expensive. Now they're yeah. worth it because it's just not out there and it's got a beautiful Jerry Ordway cover on it. But I just can't justify the cost at this point. Uh, but this is like, this is for me, it's like this thing of a character that I like uh, quite a bit. I've loved Captain Marvel for years. And there's like this whole like part of his live action presence 
beyond that god-awful Legends of the Superheroes special. <laughs> uh, that, you know, yeah, there were two of them, and yeah, the flying effects. I, I saw the one with Danny Bonaducci. That's that's that was my main takeaway from the episode was that Danny Bonaducci was in it, um, but it was I, I was really surprised how in 1974, Dreams Superman esque special effects with it, mm-hmm. and it didn't look too bad, uh, really for what it was. And I'm sure, in like when it was on, it was like the greatest thing. When ever. you were a little oh, kid, yeah. it was it was pretty exciting. I totally so, bought into it. Yeah, when I was a little kid, I totally bought into it. So, and 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 that would be kind of a fun. I mean, hell, you'd get Jerry Ordway to draw that thing in a heartbeat. I'm willing to bet. Oh, this needs to happen. Well, he really, he really visually, he looked like Captain Marvel. You know, mm-hmm. There was the chin, you know, just it it just worked perfectly. And and like George Reeves, his suit was even kind of baggy and cloth like. It was just great. I'm. I guess after the show, I'm gonna have to. Before I go to bed, I'm gonna have to go to YouTube and watch a few episodes of it. The part <laughs> where he would go and, you know, speak to Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, Mercury, were always really trippy. Yeah, because they were like animated, that. sort of that weird filmation animated thing, but they had that weird wobbly, like filter over it. Right. Well, it was cool because he was still live action. Billy would be live action, but everything else in their world was animated. So it gave a real surreal feel. And they to the were, they, they weren't really hostile, but they were very like authoritarian Billy, blah, blah, blah. You know, they, Oh, they were always very, uh, very cryptic. They yes. wouldn't just come right out and say, they would always give him some vague hint. Billy. Someday your own image, your own identity must be revealed to save a human life. Oh, I'm not sure I understand, Solomon. You may meet someone less fortunate than you, someone who feels he cannot cope with society. But you can be the one to show him how wrong he is, how worthwhile he can really be. I can? Now, perhaps by remembering what the poet Wordsworth once said, that best portion of a good man's life is his little nameless, unremembered acts of kindness and of love. Elders, you talk of love and courage, but I'm not sure what it all means. It is not our intention that you understand everything clearly now, Billy, only that you will use this knowledge when you need it. But Solomon... Good luck, Billy. You know, and I always had the feeling that as soon as the thing faded out and went back to reality and, and Billy's left with, you know, thinking, well, what does that all mean? That they were having a good laugh. Just like, it back, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like it's like, it's the George Perez drew and the wonder woman script who were kind of pricks really. Right. Uh, so. <laughs> oh man. But, uh, what I was going to mention to you though, Chris, on the, on the planet of the apes thing with, with star Trek, you know, I got the first issue, and, and I read it. I mean, it was a very quick read, and I enjoyed it and everything, but I was kind of like, eh, am I going to like this? And then the second issue came out. And I don't want to spoil anything other than to say, you got Kirk. You like it? <laughs> you got Taylor. Okay. And they and they do not like each other. Oh, of course they should not at all. And Yeah, I mean, it's two alpha males, you know? 
it's two alpha males fighting over two spaceship what's, captains. What's the next thing? You know, what are we what are we going to do about this situation? And uh, and I like it. I like where it's going. I did not see this one coming. So we, I think we are seriously going to get, you remember when we did our, our commentary for Beneath? Right. And I think that's where the that's idea where the, came up of how yes. awesome would it be to see a tussle between Kirk and Taylor. A shirtless tussle. I think we're going to get that tussle. <laughs> and I'm pretty psyched because the way they're doing it, I wouldn't have thought of it, but the way they're doing it makes perfect perfect all you comics professionals who are listening into our podcast i'm on to you now <laughs> i'm on to you i'm seeing the pattern right now we're in, we we're talk an about it machine, we have it man. all you tv execs with your walking dead tv shows and stuff we we know what you're up to and we totally encourage it Yep, we wholeheartedly approve. When Kool-Aid Man the movie comes out, we will endorse it. Directed I just, by Richard Donner. I want to walk on. I want to be... Uh, what, what were the, the, the winners in Superman the movie? What were they? They were like the water boys or something, no, they right? Were the football, they were football players. They were the football players. Well, I don't want to be a football player, but I want a cameo in uh, in Kool-Aid Man the movie. Yeah, I'll be the me water too. Boy One of the guys putting up the brick walls. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There you go. We'll I want the, the three of us will just show up as a repair crew behind him all the time. <laughs> one of us with a ladder, wanna... one of us with a bucket full of cement, and one of us with no, a I... trowel. Here's here's mine. You're gonna have to make it PG, maybe even PG thirteen. But here's my line right here: is I'm the one that's working away, slaving away, putting up the wall, and the Kool Aid Man busts through it. And every time he does it, you got a, a quick cut of me going, "God damn it." <laughs> That's the scene right there. <laughs> you can even cut it out, and it winds up on the DVD. I'm, I'm good with that too. So, well, they'd pay they'd pay you either way. So, yeah, no, right, exactly. right. You know, the 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 thing isn't to get your you on the film in the film. The thing is to be on set. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Johnny Depp is Kool Aid Man. Oh please no. <laughs> No, it wouldn't be Johnny it's Depp. It's too bad Philip Seymour like Hoffman's dead because he would have been perfect for Kool-Aid. It'd be like Seth Rogen or something like no, that. No, no, it'd have to be Andy Serkis because he'd have to be CGI. Oh, oh yeah. Now we're see? cooking with gas. There you go. Well, did you see there was there was some great Kool-Aid Man commercials about, I don't know, about two, three years ago? Did you see those? Where he, oh. where he, he's, you know, he'd get up in the morning and he was just a giant clear pitcher of ice water and he would yes. pour the Kool-Aid in the top of his head. And then he was like looking for his car keys and stuff and he'd walk out and smash through the wall as he was headed to work. Did you see those? No. They were yes. great. I mean, the CGI was perfect in those. So, you know, yeah. I know you don't like Family Guy, but they have done a number of Kool-Aid man gags. <laughs> on that show, one of the funniest is it's Kool-Aid Man sitting in his living room reading a newspaper and someone bursts through the wall and he just looks at the camera and goes, well, that, that, that on this side of it, that's quite different. <laughs> and, and I laughed because it's funny. <laughs> Good story, I'm man. <laughs> I'm serious as a heart attack. Screw you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
the series, days of Mike I, I just was... just just sitting back and letting Chris and Mike make fun, Scott and Chris make fun of them are gone. I mean, it's 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 going to be a whole new world, <laughs> except not <laughs> a, a Disney whole thing. New world. <laughs> Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> Hold this bat; it gets better. <laughs> My thing lately is just, uh, I, I've been on a kick. I've just been reading a lot of, I, I've been just trying to get caught up on some things that I've just been wanting to read for the longest time. So I've, I've been on a number of, of reading kicks lately. Are you saying you know, com- comic press? Well, sort of, because this is what kind of led to the idea of the, of the top five for this time was, uh, you know, just the reading projects I've been on. I am rereading. Uh, for the first time since it was brand new coming out on the stands, I've been rereading the Alan Moore run of Swamp Thing right oh. from uh, Anatomy Lesson right up to... I am up to just prior to uh, to issue 50 where he assembles the mystical heroes and they ride into hell. hell. Yeah, I love that I stuff. I just recently reread those. Like, Well, it was like six months ago or so, something mm-hmm. like that. I, I just blew through them. They're so good. I forgot uh, how good they were. Yeah, I I had too. And you know, the funny thing is, is, I got to thinking as I've been making my way through, I don't know that I had ever read them sequentially. Now I know I've read all the in you know, the individual issues at one time or another, but you remember, you know, I, I had famously quit Swamp Thing at just the time before it was it coming good. out. Just before more came on. And I picked it up again right around the time of the menstruating werewolf storyline. Right. So I missed that whole, like, there was like a year's worth of stories or better in that period where I had quit reading it. And so I had picked up those issues in the interim. I had collected them and I'd read them as I collected them. But I don't think I'd ever read it like sitting down like, okay, starting with the first more issue all the way through to the last one. I don't think I've ever read it that way before. So reading it that way for the first time has given me a whole new appreciation for it. Plus, it's just fun to discover that it really does hold up, which was kind of my oh, yeah. fear that I would read it and I'd go, you know, this just isn't that great or, you know, it's not as good as I remembered or whatever. But no, it is actually even better in yep. a lot of ways because I'm catching things I did not catch mm-hmm. as a kid. And uh, But I've done it for a couple of reasons. For one, I, I've been wanting to do it for years. But also, I'm trying very hard to kind of get myself back into my mindset of where was I in 1985 with DC Comics because of the coverage that Mike and I are doing on <laughs> Tales of the JSA for Crisis. <laughs> you know, I, I, I want to reconnect with that mindset. And Swamp Thing from that era in, in 85 was actually very well connected to the Crisis, probably one of yeah. the most well connected books to the Crisis at that time. Because Moore really bought into the crisis concept, and so he made it. He he incorporated it into the work that he was doing on Swamp Thing, and I really appreciate that. And he that. did it in a very fluid and interesting way. Right. Well, plus, uh, not long ago on Back to the Bins, um, the guys had Jim Dietz guest star in Back to the Bins, and Dietz brought issue fifty, the one where he rides into hell. And they talked about, you know, he read it and, and synopsized it and they fully discussed it and everything. And between Jim's passion for that issue and some of the comments that Paul had about Alan Moore, again, kind of was kicking me in the ass to go and reread it again and kind of bone up on it and everything. And uh, and it's just been so much fun. I'm really enjoying uh, reading that. 
So the the big three I've got going on at the moment, I'm I'm reading that. I'm uh, I'm just about done with uh, the uh, Rom Space Knight. I've been making my way through that because I'm I'm really getting into uh, Marvel Cosmic in a big way. Because my intention is to get fully caught up on Marvel Cosmic, but it occurs to me that several of their big cosmic storylines of recent years in in Marvel are actually heavily tied into Rom. And while I'm a big ROM fan, I never did finish the entire run. I never read it all the way through to the very end. So I'm I'm doing that right now. So I'm fully versed on the whole, you know, the knights, you know, the space knights and Galador and all that, because it ties in heavily into some things that have been happening fairly recently uh, with that whole side of Marvel. And then the other thing was uh, using Mike's Amazing World. I've been making myself these nice little runs of creators. So rather than follow like a particular character or a particular storyline, I've been assembling these collections of particular creators and reading their work in chronological order to like gain a feel for how they learn their craft essentially. And I did it a while back with, uh, with um, Neil Adams and right now I've started doing it with Jim Apero who's always been one of my absolute favorite comic book artists so starting with way back with uh, Aquaman number 40 back in the late 60s I've been slowly making my way through Apero and damn is it good stuff it's so good and it's really neat to watch him develop his style because when he came onto Aquaman you could see where he was kind of sort of trying to ape the style of the artist he was taking over from who was Nick Cardi and Nick Cardi and Jim Aparo as I remember <laughs> Aparo have very different styles so it's interesting to see him aping a style that's not anything like his his own style that he would develop and I'm several issues into that and you and I'm I'm right at that point where you're just starting to see him kind of Go in his own direction and gaining his own legs and his own art style and everything. So it's been a slow metamorphosis, but Aquaman's gone from having the Cardi face to he's getting more into the classic, you know, apparel Aquaman that I remember where he's much leaner. He looks a lot more like Superman as far as his face. He's got the wavier hair and he's very tall and very lanky, you know, like a like a string bean. Whereas in the earlier issues, because he was aping um, Cardi, he was much more short and beefy, you know, like almost, you know, like a bodybuilder type of style. So it's 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 so much fun watching his evolution as an artist and, and you know, getting his own style, developing his own. style. I'm really enjoying it. And uh What's cool is, you know, you can do this kind of stuff now. I, I just, you know, I go on to Mike's Amazing World. I find these these awesome lists that are all in chronological order. I threw all this stuff on my iPad, and I'm just burning my way through it, man. So it's going to go from, you know, Aquaman, and then it's going to go into Brave and the Bold, and then eventually he did, uh, you know, a stint on uh, on Detective that was going concurrently with this brave and the bold stuff. So, I mean, it, it's going to be, you know, this back and forth, back and forth, but I'm looking forward to it so much. I'm just having a blast uh, doing this stuff. And, uh, and I'm probably going to do more of them in the future. I was just looking at a list of, uh, of Mike Grell the other day 
and thinking that when I'm done with the apparel, I might do the same thing with Mike Grell because he's another one of those artists that I love, but uh, you know, I've only seen him on select works and I'd like to really get a feel for his overall history, you know, his it, watch the development through not just one title like Superboy or something, but, you know, everything that he had done, for, you know, in the early days, you know, with Warlord and um, I know he did a lot of like Green Arrow backup stories and action and stuff like that. I, I, it's just I think it's a lot of fun if you're if you're more into the visual style. And I, and I want to do it with some writers, too. Uh, I've always wanted to sit down and read like Roger Stern's whole body of work from the early days, because uh, there's a lot of it I've read, but there's a lot of it I haven't read. I've always wanted to read his um, Doctor Strange run, but I've only got scattered issues of it. Well, now, you know, in the digital you know, I, I can get everything right there at my fingertips and, and make these runs that are going to go chronologically, you know, between all of the, the works that, you know, one of these creators had done. I, I just think that's fun. I love watching their progress through these things. It's, it's, a, a, it's a different way to read comics for me. And, uh, and I'm digging it. I think it's really cool, but this kind of led to my idea for, uh, for the top five for this time. <laughs> was, uh, you know, what are our top five, uh, you know, one day I'll get around to reading these, or, you know, I'd, I'd love to read these one day, I just hadn't gotten to it yet kind of titles. You know, the things that you, you've always wanted to read in comics and just, you still hadn't quite made time to do it kind of thing. I like it. It was an easy one for me because I got a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to give yours first? All right, well, I decided... To, to limit myself to ones that I have that mm -hmm. are in my collection that I haven't read yet since it's that's even more plausible that I'm going to read them. Right. Although there's an honorable mention here for... Um, I'm really looking... I want to check out um, Saga. It's a... I think it's an image comic. And uh, Hope Mullinex was talking it up. And then I was doing some reading about it and it sounds like something I'd really enjoy but this I, I decided to stick with stuff that's all actually sitting gathering dust in my room waiting to be read <laughs> so number five is and don't laugh scott well you can laugh if you want but it's not funny elf quest i have they're not even trades they're big collections of they're like oh, yeah. six volumes of elf quest or something and for years and years, I've had people tell me, you know, that they're real. That flipping through them, the art style is not bad to me, but just looking at them, it's like, ah, eh, it doesn't look like something I'd like. But a lot of people that, you know, like a lot of the same stuff I do have told me, no, you have to, once you get into the story, it's really good. And, uh, and I believe that because there's been many a times where I've, seen something like that and been like, oh, that doesn't look too interesting and then got sucked right into it. So, so I, and I've had those six, seven years now wait, waiting for me. Somebody, somebody, uh, I got them at a garage sale. Um, uh, number four is a big, uh, essential. It's the next essential that I, I, I read the first two house of mysteries and the next one that I want to read is uh, The Essential Phantom Stranger. Mm. 
Hmm. And I don't know how good that'll be. I, I'm I'm thinking it might be a little hard one because it might be hit and miss, you know, as Phantom Strangers want to be. But th- uh, that one should be really interesting. I know that uh, that Jim Apero worked on some of that stuff too, and, oh. and one of one of the incarnations of uh, of the Phantom Stranger, you know, one of the the series of the Phantom Stranger, Apero did a lot of the art. I have no idea about you know what the stories are like or what. Phantom Stranger, and I think Mike and I have talked about this over on Tales. Phantom Stranger, he's weird because he's a character I really like, uh-huh. but he's not a character I think of as, oh, he needs a book. You know, he's more of, <laughs> he, I think he, he just he, works the way he works. If he it's Alan Moore in. writing the book or something like that, okay, I'll have a Phantom Stranger right. book, you know. But yeah, I, I know, and I know I know exactly what you mean. He's He's good for short stories, you know. He's a good like either to be involved in them or even just as a horror host for them. But yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be really interested to Phantom stranger to me always worked best when he operates kind of like, kind of like one of the ghosts in a Christmas Carol. He comes in, he, he, you know, he, he gives some cryptic little thing or he kind of gets you from point A to point B, but he's not, the focus of the story. And I, that was always my problem with his solo stories or, you know, when they tried to give him a series or even a mini series is that he is a character. I didn't think was all that interesting. I liked him better when he was the wraparound of the story, you know, the, the thing right. that brings, you know, brings in this, you know, almost like the, the crypt keeper at the beginning. And then he comes yep. back to kind of wrap it up at the end or, or he'll just the pop one... in and do a little thing that influences the story and then pop exactly. Out. Yeah. 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 He, yeah, he, he, he's <laughs> so for a while there until my friend, Rob Kelly, who actually has a phantom stranger blog. Uh, he hasn't <laughs> updated in a while, but he did a substantial amount of work on that blog. Uh, kind of pinged me for because I, I basically made the joke that the Phantom Stranger, you might as well call him Enigmatic Man because that, that's, you know, it's like the right. my main exposure to him was that Christmas store where Red Tornado gets his new costume in Justice League, the man who murdered Santa Claus, and Legends and an issue of action comics where all he really did was sit there and talk mysteriously. Now, in the action comics story, to be fair, John Byrne had him kicking a lot of ghost ass right. uh, in the netherworld. But, you know, to me, he, was, he wasn't he was really much of a character. And then I start reading more about him, and I'm like, okay, there is more to him. I think one of my favorite things with him was that DC Universe Trail of Time novel where you had Felix Faust, Mandel Savage, and uh, who was a Mordru, all teaming up to basically create this entire timeline where they were in control. And Superman has to fight this, and he's basically being led around by the demon of a stranger. And if you think, wow, could that story get any weirder? Yeah, all the Western characters are in it too, including Jonah Hex. So... Mm -hmm. It's a great story. That sounds so. awesome. Yeah, it, 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 it find the graphic audio version because it's amazing. Uh, it really is, and like thirteen bucks for six hours of entertainment. Well, I was gonna say that's thirteen dollars more than anybody's paid for all our two true freaks entertainment. <laughs> I don't know, dude. That Amazon thing brings in some cash. Oh, I know, Bermuda guys. See you there in a week. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, our uh, our secret get. Oh wait, I'm not supposed to talk about. I'll that. edit it out. <laughs> okay, good. All right, number Sorry. three. I got flugels. <clears throat> number three is a, a Chester Brown series that I bought the whole series, and I and it looked really boring. But he's never done anything that's been boring, and uh, it's a lot of text. But it's called Louise Riel. And it's about, you know, from the early days of Canada, a political outlaw in Canada. And it's his life story. And I can't remember why I didn't start reading it. But I every time I see uh, Chester Brown come out with a comic, which is very rarely, I pick it up. So it was coming out and it's a really small, almost digest size format. It's almost, Each one is almost like a little pamphlet. So I, I actually bought the whole run of it. And I have not gotten a chance to read it. And I'm sort of saving it because I really like Chester Brown comics. He's a guy he did. He was doing as the backup feature in one of his in his original title, Yummy Fur, that was all Bible stories. And I'm not a big Bible stories fan, uh, just so you guys know. And they were great. They were great. You know, I don't know if you guys pick that out on my personality, but yeah. But it was my it became my favorite part of that comic. So he can almost take almost any subject matter and make it interesting in a way. All right. Number two is I've got this big um, treasury of Pogo comics from the Sunday strips. It's like volume Ooh. one of the Pogo Sunday strips. And I've been waiting to read. I, that's another one I'm sort of waiting for a special occasion, too, because I love Pogo and uh, which actually there was a great Pogo tribute in the Alan Moore Swamp Thing run. And number one, I've got a big uh, another newspaper strip compilation. It's a big trade a coffee table type book of uh, Buck Rogers um, newspaper strips. Mm-hmm. And I think it's daily strips they are all black and white strips. And they're, they look really nifty. <laughs> you have to use an old-fashioned word like nifty for it, you know, because the drawing style is very, you know, just the earliest time of, like, how are we, you know, it's basically the equivalent of the serials, you know, of just the the beginnings of, you know, people visualizing science fiction in, in some kind of media. So it's very strange, you know, and static, but it looks like it's going to be quite entertaining and off the wall and different, you know, a completely different drawing style than Flash Gordon, which was, you know, that that very realistic Prince Valiant, Al Williamson sort of style. Mm -hmm. This one's got a little more sketchiness to it. It reminds me of old like superhero comics, you know, that sort of drawing style. 30s you know <laughs> right it's 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 it looks really neat so that's my top five that uh, out of 500 <laughs> <laughs> what do you got mike uh i i kind of had a similar problem to chris is uh <laughs> what to pick what what runs do i pick i mean it's it's like uh as like an honorable mention everything post-crisis dc that i haven't already read i mean it's <laughs> right. just, it, it goes like that but i did i did pick out a couple of specific ones uh number five roger stern's hulk run 
Uh, I'm actually going to come back to Stern uh, as well. I, I, I make no secret of the fact that uh, Roger Stern is, is one of my favorite comic book writers. Uh, his work on Superman, uh, to me, is some of the best Superman stuff that has ever come out. Amen. So, so just uh, just to kind of go back and see his, you know, him working on another character that I have a lot of affection for. Uh, you know, I've read like bits and pieces. I read that really great annual that he did with Byrne, uh, that guest starred Angel, which I mm-hmm. thought. But but I just want to kind of read what he was bringing to that title. You know. I could uh, be wrong, but I think I've actually read all of the the Stern Hulk, I believe, and uh, and I really liked it because it was right around the time that the TV show was out. So I think he was actively working to try to capture that feel uh-huh. without just doing the TV show. If you know what I mean, I mean he was yeah. doing his own take, and it was faithful to comic book Hulk yet still giving you the flavor of the man on the run fugitive kind of style of the TV show as well. And, uh, and I really liked that stuff. Uh, honorable mention there is Bill Mantlo's Hulk as well mm-hmm. from beginning to end, because I, I've read a lot of that, but I haven't read the early, uh, like all of the early stuff. And it would just be cool just to go through the whole thing. Uh, number four, Marvel star Wars. Um, no doubt about it. This is one of those things that I just haven't pulled the trigger on yet. Oh, man. Um, How long ago was it I sent you a whole bunch of my doubles of that? I know. Years like, ago. And I've, got, <laughs> and I've got digital and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But still, uh, that's an investment of time mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to go through that. A little bit so, of time, yes. <laughs> so, uh, number three, Roger Stern's Avengers run uh, from beginning to end, which I have. Uh, again, I just haven't sat down and, and gone through it. And it's kind of amazing that my first three choices are all Marvel books. Uh, <laughs> I never really thought about it when I was making up the list, but it's just like... It's because you're reading the DC books more. Well, that is true, but it's also very specific creators and such. So, right. you know, it's, it's it, you know really getting into, you know, because Roger Stern's run on Avengers... Uh, I, I realize that there's probably some, for lack of a better term, clunkers in there, but he seemed to have a handle on that team that really brought it through the eighties in fine style. So I, I haven't read all of it, but I've read a serious chunk of it and off the top of my head, I can't really think of any clunkers as far as what he brought to the table. Cause I, I think he's just a fantastic writer. I, I think he really captured the, the feel and the voices of the individual characters. But the problem with his run on Avengers, in my opinion, is that it is a bit of a slog visually because the thing that hurts his run is that the art was typically shit or at least very weak. If he had had a really solid artist on that like a you know like burn for example or um trying to think of who else he might have been teamed up with during that time just somebody very visually dynamic salbusema or um oh who was the dude that i just recently rediscovered that was doing uh ah shit i'm not gonna be able to think of his name he was doing thor for a while keith uh, keith pollard 
Yeah. Damn, that guy had chops. What the hell ever happened to him? He just kind of dropped off the face of comics. And that guy was a hell of an artist. You know, so any of those like really great 80s Marvel artists, if he'd have been teamed up with a really good one, I, I think that that run of his on Avengers would be a little more fondly remembered than it is these days. But typically the art's just kind of pedestrian. I'm trying to remember who the hell it was. And I want to say Milgram, I think, who I'm not trying to dump on Al Milgram, but it just... If that even is who it is, I can't remember. But it just, it it doesn't sing. You know what I mean? It, it just doesn't really yeah. have anything. It's just there, and it's not dynamic. And when you're talking about, you know, not only a team of heroes, but one of the great teams of heroes. You know, when when any given issue, you've got dozens of characters, uh, you know, all of which with a very dynamic look, and you're just not doing anything useful with them. You know, <laughs> it, it just doesn't do it. You know, and and it just it didn't service Stern's stories at all because he was telling some really good stuff. And it wasn't until a little bit later when he had, uh, you know, when you start to get closer to the Under Siege storyline, finally the arc got good, you know, because he got. Um, Tom, I think it was a Buscema on the on the I was trying to remember who the penciler was, but I know it's definitely uh, Palmer on the inks. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who the artist was. I think it was a Buscema. But damn, that was some good stuff. But it's a slog getting there visually, getting there because uh, it just you know the artists that he had in the earlier issues of his run just went, you know, they just weren't doing the job unfortunately. But there's some good stuff in there, and a lot of his stuff ended up being picked up on later you know, because he's the one that wrote the story with uh, with the Vision hooking up with uh, Isaac. And then eventually that led to, you know, Vision trying to take over the world and all that, which was played out much later in uh, in Burns' run on West Coast when he had the Vision disassembled and all that. So, you know, he planted some seeds that were picked up by later art, uh, later writers, which I really appreciated. But no, there's yeah. some good stuff in there in his run. I think you would like it. Quick digression. Uh, having reread Burns' Avengers West Coast run recently, mm -hmm. uh, I think I was unduly hard on that series uh, years ago when I would talk about it because really enjoying it on the surprisingly. Uh, and it's all been collected in trade paperback. You can, there, there's two volumes of that too. So now let me uh, ask but, you, do you think you were hard on it because of what was going on in the world of comics at that time? Yeah, probably. And now, <laughs> And now I'm so much more rose tinted glasses with a lot of this <laughs> stuff, but, but no, it, it actually, I, I kind of got what he was going for. So divorcing himself from any kind of particular prejudice. Right. I, I just kind of tried to look at it from what he was doing and like him or hate him. He put out some entertaining books. So I, um, I suspect you and I were probably in very similar mindsets about that time because I remember having much the same thought because that was Burns' next thing after he left Superman. And I remember being so pissed that while I bought it, I wouldn't allow myself to enjoy it because it wasn't Superman anymore, you know? And I think if, I, I think the same thing. If I went back and read it today, I'd probably enjoy it a hell of a lot more than I did at the time when it was coming out because I wasn't allowing my myself to give it a fair shake, really. Number two, uh, and it's because you've been at after me to do this, uh, Swamp, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you have definitely been talking that up, so it's definitely been on my mind. 
And number one, this is going to sound, this is going to sound like wow, my, my number one. It's Bronze Age Superman, uh, starting from Kryptonite Nevermore and the action issues from that time period, all the way up through DC Comics Presents. You know, Superman Family, World's Finest. I really want to just experience that era and how it developed and the good times and the bad times and all of that. Uh, you know, it's 16 years worth of books. It's doable. I mean, mm-hmm. hell, John Wilson has read every Superman book from Action Comics number one to the mid 60s. So, you know, if he can if he can do it, I can read the Bronze Age. But <laughs> there, there, there's just a lot in that era that, you know, Charlie Niemeyer was doing that show for the longest time. And uh, he started out doing like a straight index show and then started cherry picking the stories he wanted to talk about uh, just because that's where his muse went. But, you know, one, one of his trailers for that is that everybody thinks of the Bronze Age as Kryptonite Nevermore and whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there's that by line that you talked about on it's superman that i enjoyed listening to you talk about so much uh even though that villain is really goofy looking mm-hmm. uh, car brack yeah there's no getting around how silly he looks but just the idea that in the middle of the bicentennial superman's just back in colonial times hanging out having an adventure having an adventure i mean so i i so- just really what is there a void right now then with uh, with Charlie having stopped his show? Is there a Bronze Age Superman void out there in podcasts? Um, kind of, but not really. Russell Bragg is doing the DC Comics Presents show, right? Uh, so you have that, but there really, I you know, I don't think there is another show covering that era at this point. I might have to look back into that at some point. One of the big reasons I, I stopped doing it, Superman, but you know, besides the fi- you know the fact that I just get busy and you know you, there's only so many hours in a day and a week and that sort of thing, but also every time I would pick a storyline that I wanted to do and I was just about you know ready to sit down and either read it or record it or make notes or whatever, Charlie was already doing it. I'm like son of a bitch, and he kept beating me to it. <laughs> you know, it was almost like there was like industrial espionage going on. You know, where he where he had he was sending somebody in that would you know see my notes or something. So after a time, I was like, well, screw it, I'll let Charlie do it then. But uh, but it was he's me. Not... I'm sorry. <laughs> but if he's not out there doing it, I might actually have to get back into that at some point because, you know, I, I you know. You know I love me my Burn Superman. Burn Superman is my Superman, but it's funny that he is because that's not the Superman I grew up with. You know, the Bronze Age Superman was the the Superman that was around when I was a kid. So I do have an awfully soft spot for that incarnation of Superman as well. So yeah, I mean, there's some really good stuff in there that I I think you're really going to enjoy. And I myself have not read near as much of it as uh, as I would like. You know, I, I like to consider myself well versed on it, but when I'm honest with myself, it's like, nah, I mean, I've got some serious holes. There's a lot of it I haven't read. For all of it I have read, there's a lot of it I haven't read either. So I'd like yeah. to give it a, a serious shake at one, at some point. But that's all I got. All right. Well, my list, uh, it was it was a little bit tough. Only, oh, I, I think it's the same thing you guys said. It was tough to narrow it to just five because a lot of things jumped to my mind that I was seriously tempted to put on the list. But, uh, but I narrowed it to the ones that, uh, 
that I most really honestly want to try to get to within, say, the next couple of years. I'd really like to try to uh, to give these an honest shake. Um, number five, The Suicide Squad. I've Ooh. read select issues, and I was collecting it when it was coming out. But it was at that time post-crisis when there was just so many great DC books coming out, something had to give. And I think right around issue 12 or 13, I, I dropped it. And I'd always oh, regret it no. dropping it because it got really good, everybody says. And the funny thing is, is I've picked up all of the issues I've been missing out of the 50 cent bins for years. So now I have a complete collection with the sole exception of the very last issue, number 66. I still don't have, and I refuse to pay five bucks for the damn thing because I know the minute I do, I'll find it in a 50 cent box. So for that reason, I still haven't read the rest, the rest of the run, but I want to, that's definitely do you have on the, the, list. the Doom Patrol special mm -hmm. too. Yeah. I've got everything else okay. except that very last issue. How about how about the Deadshot miniseries? I think I have that, yeah. Okay, because I read through that entire series back in 2000 when I was going through everything, and I have to take back something. I have read Crisis all the way through. It was just when I was going through my Firestorm run and a couple other books uh, that I was reading chronologically, I threw Crisis in there because it played so heavily into it. Mm -hmm. But after that, I started... Uh, I put suicide squad into the rotation and mm -hmm. oh my god you are going to have so much fun with that book it it has funny moments it has dark dark moments that doom patrol special some serious crap goes down <laughs> like like the the next issue after that when flag goes back to the headquarters he just doesn't talk to anybody it was just that bad so i am i'm jealous of you uh, for getting to experience that for the first time. I remember when it, DC used to put out those little promotional items like cards and things that would tell uh -huh. you like where you could go find particular storylines and what. There was that one called the Janus Directive. Uh-huh. And it was a checklist of where the story ran between Suicide Squad, Firestorm, Manhunter, and was there another book? Or was that all of uh, them? Checkmate. Checkmate, that was it. And I have never read it, but I've always been intrigued by the fact that this storyline that everybody says is really great ran through what was essentially very peripheral books when you look at the overall DCU at the time. So I was always really curious to, to check that out. And so if I ever do uh, get around to reading Suicide Squad, that's kind of the way I want to do it is to read all four of those books okay. you know, in the proper order to gain the, the bigger picture of the, um, I, the John Ostrander universe yes, as it existed at that time. I recommend doing that enough. Yeah, Seriously, I'd really like to do, do that. Because, I, you know... Because oh, you're, he, you're I, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, go you ahead. just got me really excited right now. I apologize. <laughs> um, all of his titles read very well on their own. If you read them all chronologically you see characters weaving in and out of all of his books. Right. And when you read it in that format, it just makes this bigger kind of this, this whole section of the DC universe that he was ostensibly in charge of. Now, Paul Kupperberg wrote checkmate. So that was kind of his baby, but you know, he wrote Manhunter with his wife, Kim Yale, and he wrote suicide squad and he wrote, you know, firestorm. And, uh, 
of Captain Adam series before Armageddon 2001. He wrote that. Uh, and 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 I can't, I just can't recommend enough reading like basically the post-crisis black ops section of the DC universe. Right. It's great. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to check it out because he's one of those writers that oddly at the time these things were coming out for some reason he kind of slid past my radar. But then a couple of years ago between the Star Wars work that he was doing for Dark Horse. And then he did two different miniseries for, for Marvel. And I'm not sure of the years, but it was sometime in the 90s. He did two uh, miniseries that were based off of DC, or not DC, but Marvel rather, Marvel's Western characters. And they were both just fantastic. One was called Blaze of Glory, which was essentially take all of Marvel's Western characters, throw them all into one last hurrah. And, and he did that one. It was a four issue prestige format book that just kicks ass. It was really, really good. And then there was a sequel to that called Apache Skies that followed one of the survivors of the Blaze of Glory storyline. And that was actually done in the Marvel Max imprint. So it was an adults, you know, like an adult only book. And damn good stuff. I mean, really, really good. And it was one of the few Max titles that I felt really lived up to the potential of that imprint because most of the Marvel Max books, you know, they're supposed to be these more adult stories. Well, all they did was they, you know, they threw in a bunch of tits and they threw in a bunch of harsh language and they called that adult. And that to me is not adult necessarily. It's just you're, you're getting away with things that you couldn't get away with in a regular book, but it's not you're not elevating the medium yeah. whereas Ostrander did he took that adult imprint and used it to tell a very mature story and I thought it kicked ass I mean it was a if you like just a, a really good gritty story you know set in the western world it, I, it was just great I thought it was really solid stuff and uh, I wrote to him not long ago when I reread it again because I've read it several times every couple of years I dig it out and I reread it again because it just impresses me so and I wrote to him and I was like please tell me there's more and he's like no you know I've always wanted to and I just never got around to it and it just broke my heart I'm like damn it write some more because this is good stuff you know <laughs> but it is it's really good one of these days I'm going to get around to it'll, it'll probably be on back to the bins or something but eventually I want to get around to covering both of those minis that he did uh, with Marvel's Western characters because it's it's so good, so entertaining. And it, it's weird because, I mean, you know, I, I, I've said this so many times, but that's just not my comfort zone in comics, you know, the, the Western stuff. You know, I'm just not a Western guy, but, you know, when a genre is handled well, it's handled well. It shouldn't matter, you know, whether it's necessarily your, your fit or not. And uh, that's what this story was. It was just a damn good story that just, you know, well, it just happens to be a Western. And uh, and I loved it. I thought it was really good stuff. And so, what was funny was Blaze was of Glory. Is... Mm-hmm. Was, yeah. Was... Well, that's, that's interesting because usually their Western titles just completely leave me cold. Right. Yeah. Well, that was the funny thing is that, you know, most of the characters, I'll be honest, I didn't even know who the hell they were. I mean, I might have known the names, you know, like it had, I mean, and it had everybody. It had like Caleb Hammer. It had um, Kid Colt, uh, Kid Colt Outlaw. It had uh, Two Gun Kid. It had um, 
who was the one that was had joined the Avengers? Um, and he went like he made friends with Hawkeye, and Hawkeye took him from the 19th century into modern day event. I can't remember what the hell no. his name was. No, you know who I'm talking about? Uh, vaguely, I just can't remember the name of the character. Was it Two Gun? It might have been Two Gun. I can't remember, but all those characters. And they, they were all in Blaze of Glory. They all come together in that story. And most of them are all on the same side, except one guy, the, the guy that was kind of a vaguely disguised Jonah Hex. He was this uh, bastard bounty hunter guy. Comes gunning for a couple of the characters um, in the story. So he's actually at odds with them. But it's one of these things where like there's this besieged town. So the town basically calls on the Western heroes to come save them kind of thing. And it's almost like a last stand, you know, la you know, I mean, it's called blaze of glory for a reason. Cause they essentially go out in a blaze of glory at the end of the story. But then there was a sequel that came along not long after that called Apache skies, which I'm trying to remember who the, who the character was in that. Was it the Apache kid? I can't remember, but like I say, it was, you know, to me, they're, they're just names. I, I'd never really read adventures of any of these characters. I just kind of knew the names from seeing them, you know, on the titles of magazines that I would always flip through, you know, flip past as I would go through quarter bins or whatever. So I knew the names, but I didn't know the characters. So that was the fun of it is I could read this thing and really enjoy it and, and probably realized at the time that they were probably taking liberties with the way that they were actually portrayed in their original titles. But I didn't give a shit because I didn't know who they were. So it was just fun. You know, it was just fun to read it. It would be the same way as like if you picked up, you know, a, a book about the Alamo. I mean, I know the names, Jim Bowie and Davy Crockett and all, but I don't really know them. You know, I don't know their adventures and their backstories. I just know them as, as these legends. And that's what makes a story like the Alamo so interesting. Well, it's the same kind of idea here is that, you know, this is the blaze of glory for these characters. So you don't necessarily have to know them. You just know of them. And you know that they're they're important and they were heroes in this world. And it, so it works on that level, on that mythic level. And I, I thought it was really good stuff. Uh, where the hell am I on this list? All right. So I said Suicide Squad. Um, the next three, um, I'm glad that you had your Superman one on there because I was afraid that these might look be looked at as something of a cheat. But essentially, I would love – I've been wanting to do this for years. And I swear this is going to be one of my next projects. I want to read the complete runs from like when they came along in 60s Marvel right up to like the end of like their at least through their volume ones of Captain America, Thor and Iron Man. I've always wanted to do that with all three of those characters. And I've I've started with each of them at one time or another. You know, I started with Thor with um, uh, what was his book? Um, uh Journey into Mystery, and, and I read through a lot of that right up to just about the point where the title switched over to Thor and then, you know, got busy with, you know, saw something shiny go by or something and just kind of forgot and never finished the run. Same thing with, like, Cap and Thor because they were in the same book. They were in um, Tales of Suspense. And I started reading those adventures and, and never made it all that far. But one of these days I want to sit down and, like, read, like, the complete histories of these characters. Maybe not Cap. Because Cap has a lot of wonky bits and, you know, wonky eras where I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want to slog through that. But Thor and Iron Man, definitely. I, I would like to be able to read, like, their complete histories. 
And uh, and the Iron Man one uh, looks like it it probably holds up the best of the three because it looks like he's had the more cons- most consistent like solid you know solidness in his runs uh you know from what i've seen it doesn't look like there's there's too many eras that that bog down too much where cap definitely has it and there's one i can definitely think of with thor the um the end of thor volume 2 the one that was uh that started out and it was dan jurgens and john ramita i loved that run right up until the very end and the end of that series, I can't remember the writer that took over that liberal asshole. I can't think of his name where they had Ragnarok and all that. And that sucked. And then when they brought him back out of that, they brought him back and they saddled him with Don Blake all over again. And I thought that was shit too. So yeah, he, he's not been as, as big for me since all that, but up until that point, like all through, uh, volume one i'd like to read all that stuff you know i've read a lot of it on all three of these characters but i'm talking like the solid run start to finish and really gain more of a of a historical perspective for all three of those characters i'd really like to do that and then uh number one on my list something i've wanted to do for years and uh it would just be a matter of tracking down the material and trying to figure out how to put it in some sort of proper timeline but i would love to read all of the seeger popeye I've always wanted to do that. I, I've heard you know, what That's great a big st- job, I guess. Yeah, but I would love to do it. And I know that uh, for a time, oh, what studio was it? Di- was it Dynamite? I forget. One of the studio, one of the indie studios that's big right now, was reprinting the Seeger Popeye in order from the um, Thimble Theater. I don't know how far they got. I don't know if they're still doing it or not. I don't know how it was selling. But they had two Popeye books that were running concurrently. There was one called, I think it was just called simply Popeye, that was all new Popeye stories. And then there was another one that was called Classic Popeye, which was going you know, in publication order of the, uh, of the Thimble Theater stuff. But the last time I was in a comic shop, I didn't see them on the wall. So I don't know if either one of them is still being published. But years ago... Uh, there was a girl that I dated that was friends with one of the guys that used to work at Twilight Book and Game in Syracuse. And we went over to his apartment one time and he was showing me through his collection and he had all of them in a bound collection. And it was the com- it was even called the Complete Seeger Popeye. And I have tried to track those things down and I've found individual volumes of them, but even the individual volumes are crazy ass expensive. So it had to be some limited edition thing that he'd bought into or something. But uh, I've always wanted to do that because I just I think it would be fun. I, you know, I like Popeye. Don't know a hell of a lot about him. I haven't read a lot of his stuff, but what I have you know, whenever I do read a, a classic Seeger Popeye, I always enjoy mm-hmm. it. So I would love to sit down and actually read like start to finish his take on the, you know, his evolution of the character. I think that'd be really cool. And you know, along the same lines, I didn't have it on the list, but along the same lines, you know, the the peanuts. I always wanted to do the same thing with the peanuts. Cuz my That's grand- a lot my- easier. Yeah, my grandmother had a um, a bound collection that was like, I think it was like the first three or four years of Peanuts, you know, right from the beginning, you know, when they looked very different than what they would, you know, eventually come to look like. And I loved that stuff when I was a kid. So anything like that, I, I'd, I'd really get into. That was my list. 
I may have actually already read all the Peanuts just because when I was a kid, I would read all of them in the library. Mm-hmm. And they, they and I remember I remember reading the early early ones and going, "Wow, they're way young." And then seeing Snoopy walking around on all fours, right, and being very dog-like. It was really interesting, and the slow progression into the modern Peanuts. It was really cool. Yeah. When I was in grade school, the library had like a a bunch, for some reason, like two or three of the really early, early peanut stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember being a little kid reading it going, there's something, there's something not right about this. But I mean, I enjoyed it because I enjoyed just about anything comic strip, comic book related that I read. It's like, it's like reading early Garfield almost, which just was a completely different it was Look Garfield mixed with Seinfeld. Yeah, it was, it was a little it was existential. Really uh, and then it, it kind of developed into what Garfield was. And it's really funny to see that basically it's almost when they get network TV specials on CBS is where things really start to change almost. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's, that's your line of demarcation with that kind of thing. So, uh, but yeah, the thankfully all of that peanut stuff has been reprinted in beautiful collections uh, i think idw put those out uh, was it, it I, yeah you know what yes i think you're right i think it was idw because they put out yeah. like other stuff like they they put out like a, a like a really solid run of like dick tracy as well which i mm-hmm. would be kind of interested to read yeah. uh, i'm not usually a big comic strip guy uh simply because i just I realize what a great art form it is. It's just not one that I, as an adult, have glommed onto. Right. But there's something about Dick Tracy that just makes me want to read it. The Dick Tracy strips are out of... They're they're, they're just batshit crazy. They're great. (laughs) You know, you were talking about the library before, and I was trying to think... You know, you were talking about uh, like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and all that. And I was trying to remember that you you triggered a memory of a book. I remember and I was thinking I had the book, like maybe I'd gotten it from Walt or something. And it was a book of like classic Flash Gordon, like the earliest Flash Gordon stories. And I remember having that and thinking it was odd. But then I got to thinking, well, if I, I had that, why out. the hell would I have gotten rid of it? So I'm thinking maybe it was something from the library. Do you remember us having a book like that in the library of, of classic Flash Gordon strips? It's very possible. It's very possible. I just I can't remember where I would have seen that because it seems like something like that I would hold on to. I wouldn't be stupid and get rid of it. But I, I don't have any, anything like that today. So I can only imagine it most something that we had like in the school library or something. But uh, but yeah, I didn't think of that. But that would be another one I'd be interested in one of these days is, you know, the not so much the Buck Rogers. I tried to read those once and I found them to be kind of a slog. But the Flash Gordon ones were just, a you know, they're a hoot, you know, because they're they're re- they really are that, uh, you know, that that grandfather of, of Star Wars. Yeah. In so many ways. So yeah, I, I wouldn't mind checking some of that. So I don't know if I could do like a complete read or something, but just, you know, the earliest adventures kind of thing, just to gain a flavor for it. I think that stuff's cool. The flavor. <laughs> well, it's all you, man. Oh, that's right. It's time for 
everybody's favorite. I'm even going to say it this time about myself. Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. Comic. All right. <clears throat> so this time on Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic, I am reading Captain Victory and his Galactic Rangers number 11. <laughs> it is part one of his origin story. So I figured it was a good way to find out what was going on, but boy was I wrong. <laughs> I don't know what just happened, but I think Jack Kirby is a little insane in the membrane. We start out with the Captain Victory who looked sort of like Space Prince Valiant telling his crew of goofy alien pirates that he is going to tell his life story to them and then he scares him with an insane-ass speech-slash-rant that gets his knickers in a twist but doesn't make any goddamn sense. Okay, so when Captain <laughs> Victory was a little kid, he looked exactly the same, but he was smaller. He has a bunch of lumpy god relatives who rule the universe by apparently destroying everything they run into. They blow up enemies with compressed air pills like the Blueberry Girl in Willy Wonka. And then they dribble toxic waste on whole solar systems. They gun down fish people who are just minding their own business and swimming at the YMCA. And they do a mass decapitation with a decapitating buzzsaw machine. Apparently, they are led by a loud, loud god voice that shows up in their heads. Little Cap Victory, Victory is helping them out, but he's just not into it. He does not like the voice, and he has some sort of giant computer friend thing who he turns against his people, I think. Honestly, he may have been playing checkers with it. I couldn't tell. Then, Cap Vic has his last straw when his cousin Big Ugly feeds him a slice of space deer person from a planet they just conquered, and then he just guns everyone down. I now know less about Captain Victory than before I read this comic. The end. <laughs> what the hell happened in this comic? <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not a big follower of Jack Kirby, especially in the, like, the, I guess this late in the 80s, which I guess is this stuff kind of infamous. It's got to be kind of infamous. Um, whoa. <laughs> whoa, man. This is some writing. His rant when he's, he's just sort of like, yes, I'm going to tell you all my story but i'm gonna tell it over the intercom and then he just goes off and i had to flip back and i'm like oh yeah right created written and drawn by jack kirby wow <laughs> i mean i guess if i read the other 10 issues it might put a lot more of this into context but oh my god this is some this is some great great almost just meaningless blather rant storytelling i've ever seen i i kind of love this comic in a way <laughs> in an incomprehensible <laughs> there's you know he's doing his little rant and 
like all of a sudden his his face starts looking like the ape faces and his adaptation of 2001. Right. His yeah. character goes from from Prince Valiant to getting those sort of pointy teeth, pointy flat teeth and and uh <laughs> Yes, raw, relentless, irresistible power. Power that rises from within and grows. That cracks down the bone with the hard sweep of the mace. Or burns out a brain with a laser torch. Though it be chained by blood to the missions of haughty dreamers. Like my (laughs) father. I'll serve no prince. They're all like cowering and going, sure, sure, we're all for that. Power, power, power. It destroys nothing. It resolves nothing. It changes nothing. Though it is ugly and revels in terror, it hides nothing. Its flesh and spirit shred their mask of beauty when the gauntlet is thrown in terror. Open the floodgates of gore. And not one of these people looks at the other one and goes, what the hell is he talking about? They're like cowering in the... Well, by that time, you you really... It's just like... It's more of like the captain is completely (laughs) insane. Look at the Let two me... that are hugging each other. I love it. I love it, though. It's so bizarre. It's like, I... this is what happens when you give a crazy person complete control. <laughs> and I'm kind of well, happy that they did it. I, I would say I, I would agree with that, except they did that with the new gods and while so, and, and the demon and all that. And while that stuff had like some out there concepts, at least it kind of had a a story to hold everything together. Right. I think the game we need to play from now on is take, uh, you know, images from this comic and then images from his work on the Eternals and see if you could really tell the difference between the two. Mm-mm. Because I swear to God, I was looking through this thing going, wasn't, isn't that designed from the, the Eternals from Marvel? Yeah, that's Icarus. Yeah, that yeah. is totally Icarus. So well, it's, it's just like, you know, this was 80s Kirby. So this was Kirby well, at his most bitter. I get the feeling that it's like, yeah, he's he's probably, you know, that's I'm not familiar with his work, but I get that feeling that. OK, he has this comic and he's like, I'm going to redo the stuff I really wanted to do the way I wanted to do it and the way they wouldn't let me do it for obvious reasons <laughs> and uh, and do it. And this is this is this is Jack Kirby with nobody telling him no. And in points, it's just amazing where they feed that guy the compressed air pill and he blows up like a balloon and explodes. But when he explodes, the last it's just a shot of space print value with giant with, you know, you know, looks like shreds of paper and giant um, Lichtenstein style like pow. (laughs) And the and the space voice yelling in his head. And I mean, I guess I got to read it because there's parts that are like almost within the English language incomprehensible because of the way he's using like Eternals or there's there's obviously things that mean things in here different than what they mean in reality or they mean they actually mean something specific. Ultimates. That's what he's always talking about. He's always talking about ultimate this and ultimates that as if sometimes as if there were people. But sometimes it's a concept. Sometimes it seems like it's actually a thing, like a computer or something. I don't know what the hell it happened, but it was <laughs> spectacular. I think 
it suffers from the shaded coloring in it art wise and obviously his art isn't where it was back in his glory days right but there's some moments you know there's moments and there's things it's just fun of the multiple frames of him shooting everybody but you don't see them getting shot you just see him aiming and bam 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 where he's really sort of you know that's seeing those frames is almost the equivalent of seeing like chuck berry like playing you know sweet little 16 or something you know one of his early songs it's just something that they sort of if not invented you know mastered in the early days it's just really weird I remember this time period where all these alternate, you know, publishers came out and it was a combination of new people and older, bitter people who <laughs> left the, the, the big guys for the and got a little bit of a freedom and a drop in pay. But they were also sort of like maybe past their prime. Mm hmm. Well, I don't think anybody was bigger or more bitter than Jack Kirby during this time either. No, know? not at all. Or remember I mean, Miss is... Mystic by Neil? Yeah. Was yeah. Sort of reminded me of the same sort of deal. Yeah, but the, but the thing is, is that... It made a Jack, lot more sense. <laughs> Jack, Jack Kirby, especially in the early to mid-80s, was fighting to get his artwork back from Marvel. Right. Uh, and there was this bitter, like, schism in fandom even over the whole thing where I have this interview that he did with comic scene in like 1983 where he's like, I never worked with a writer. I did everything. Right. It's just like at what point it's just like, okay, I, I will concede that the, the line between where Jack began and where, uh, and where Stan, you know, came in can kind of be blurry on some things. And sometimes it's obvious it was a Stan idea. Sometimes it's obvious it was a Jack idea. But to sit there and, and claim that, you know, the, the writer, uh, you know, the guy that uh, that scripted everything, because to Jack at that time period, uh, what Stan was doing wasn't writing. Uh, he was just scripting things. So that's not writing. I wrote it because I drew it. So I set the, the pace for it. And it's kind of sad. And I'm kind of glad that towards the end of his life, things seem to kind of brighten up for him. And there seemed to be this new respect. And DC was certainly, uh, outside of, you know, completely changing the end of his Hunger Dogs graphic novel, I mean, they were they were having him redesign his fourth world characters for the Superpowers line. Mm -hmm. So, like, in, in some ways, it was it, it, everything was going great. and in, in, But in most of the ways, it was just, like, this bitter fight with Marvel Comics. So, I... I it's kind of sad, really. It really, it, it, you know, every time I think about it, I, I, I want to stop thinking about it because it kind of just depresses the crap out of yeah. me. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. But you know, in a in a bizarre kind of way, I'm glad that things like this exist. You know, right around this time, and and pretty much for the rest of his life, he kept going to different publishers. You know, these different ones that would pop up, and he kept trying to reinvent the wheel. He kept trying to reinvent himself, and he kept coming up with these new characters and all and and none of it ever really 
even captured even the faintest glimmer of, of his former glory. And that's really sad. And I, I feel badly for the guy, but I'm glad that that stuff is out there like this. Cause I look at this and I I'll just be perfectly honest. I think it's crap, you know, but I'm glad that this exists because this to me, this is the strongest possible exhibit a for all those assholes on the internet that want to claim that that oh stan lee's just a hack and you know he stole <laughs> everything from jack kirby and you know he doesn't deserve the glory and he's just a huckster and blah all this crap and all this venom that they spew at at stan lee now i think stan lee deserves the accolades that he gets however you know, I also agree that that Stan, uh, that uh, Jack Kirby is a vital component in that partnership that they oh, worked yeah. together. Yeah, it's like and Simon I think, and Garfunkel. Exactly, and I think this is a great exhibit of that. Is that I think that Stan lent a stabilizing influence that basically he made sense of Kirby's crazy shit. Yeah. And you remove Stan Lee from that formula. And this is what this you is get what because you get. everything I've ever read of Jack Kirby unleashed is exactly like this. Well, uh, I, I might be, a, I might be a collector of Jack Kirby unleashed because for all, I mean, for all the downfalls of it, which I mean, the downfalls of this are panel by panel almost mm-hmm. <laughs> in a lot of ways. And, and just like it's very awkwardly written, you know, he's he's an artist and not a writer, but he really has exactly, he yeah. really has. Well, he's a great idea, man. He's a fantastic he's idea. Got man. And I... Amazing ideas, but they're in his head and they don't come out. Exactly. They don't get articulated clearly exactly he, this. he needs to be the guy that comes up with the idea and he needs a strong scripter or or writer that can develop those ideas into I, something that's going I, to be but for uh, me, digestible to the to the mass audience and that's not usually I, what you get with jack on his own yeah for, i was about to say i will agree with that with the exception of his early 70s dc work which, for whatever reason, I have this extreme affection for everything I've read. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I read, like, the first couple of issues of New Gods and Forever People and Mr. Miracle. And they're just these brilliant, out-there concepts that all had, like, this really mythic overtone to it. And I think that's what this comic was missing, is it's big and it's bombastic, but it doesn't have a solid foundation. Right. And and right. I think that his fourth world stuff and the demon and uh, even OMAC to a certain extent all has that solid foundation because Ryder spent the next couple decades trying to act to those ideas. Right. And, you know, no one who's coming back to devil dinosaur, you know, I might, mm-hmm. Well, and, well, okay. well, I'm who not actually Chris I never Honeywell, read Devil Dinosaur, but I might try it out, you know. <laughs> okay, who who doesn't have like the kickstart patches? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, you know, covering his forearms. Yes, right. <laughs> you know, it it's just there had to be something there for so many creators like Simonson and Byrne and and all that to really want to come back to it again and again and again. here you read this and it's just there thing as 
for lack of a better term, like good pornography. And then there's something that's just stuff on a page. Uh, and I, and I think that that's where this kind of falls into. And my wife's laughing in the other room because apparently the idea of good pornography is just weird, but I'll send you this... some, some links, <laughs> but it's just like, it's, it's like anything. It's just like Kirby unleashed. Like you guys maybe should always be taken as this is going to be the greatest thing ever. Well, this, right. It's, I'm I'm a fan of the of the lone nut weirdo. Surprise, surprise. And and Is that so Master Blaster? <laughs> and this this comic definitely tweaks my but you you reminded me when you mentioned the demon that uh I've got a uh big collected demon Jack Kirby's a demon that I have yet to read, read that should be on my You'll love it. list. And now I'm thinking that might be my good, best starting place to actually read some old peak period stuff before I get caught up in the, in the weirdo period. But then again, that's, I, I sort of like getting into that weirdo period. Have you guys picked up sort of the light motif theme of this episode? I've been sort of picking up on a, on a little theme of like, Maybe the character-driven collection versus the the creator-driven collection, mm. and from from a lot of our conversation today, tonight, I'm starting to think that having a collection based on creators that you like rather than characters that you like might ultimately be more rewarding and less frustrating. It's really funny that you say that because with me narrowing down what I continue to buy as far as back issues, it has really come down. It's not, I don't want a complete collection of Spider-Man, but I want to get everything John Byrne did for Marvel, you know? Right. It's that, like I may not want a full run of Avengers, but I collected every Roger Stern issue because I like Roger Stern and I want to see what he did with the characters and I find it more rewarding in where I am in comics right now. Because it, it took me a while to realize that I don't need full runs of all of these characters to really appreciate it. I just, you know, my Spider-Man collection right now consists of a bunch of trade paperbacks. And if I get a hankering to read a Spider-Man story, I'll pick one of those off off the shelf, read it, and it gets it out of my system. Uh, and it's much better for my wallet, too, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, that's a concern with all three of us. <laughs> what do you think, Scott? No, uh, most definitely. <laughs> that is uh, that is a concern of mine as well. Well, my long boxes are alphabetical to a point, but there's also points of uh, p- parts of them where they're not alphabetical, like the Rick Veitch section, where I've got all my Rick Veitch comics, you know, and all my R. Crumb comics or whatever the, by, you know, where I'm like after that specific person for something they've written or drawn or both and, uh, and combinations of, of like, there's certain, there's certain artists that I might not, I might be 50, 50 on, but if there's a certain inker on them that I'm going to really look that up or or it's like John Byrne it's a, John Byrne has a right anchor on him and it adds an extra shine to it you know 
Absolutely. I mean, you you put a, a Terry Austin or a Carl Kessel on yep. Byrne, and it's just oh it just yeah, sings. Terry Austin. Oh my God, mm-hmm. Terry Austin, John Byrne, like that that name association is the same thing as like Lennon McCartney to me. Yeah. You know? Well, let me ask you that. That's a good question because you guys are big Beatles fans, uh, and I just haven't caught that bug yet. Do you? Do you think there's like a good comparison to be made between Stan and Jack working together mm-hmm. and their separate work with Paul and John working together and their separate work? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, it, it's funny you say that because I was actually thinking that not long ago because I was uh, I was watching a, a documentary um, about the Sherman Brothers, who were the uh, the the songwriting team for so many of the of the Disney projects, you know, and uh, you know, especially like in the in the '60s, you know, but they came up with with you know so many of the uh, the big uh, songs that Disney had in in films and even uh, some of the the theme park attractions and everything, and they were uh, repeatedly compared to um, Lennon and McCartney from the Beatles. And what's funny was that before that comparison was made, I, I kind of drew that parallel myself. But the f- initial parallel that I actually found myself making was Stan and Jack. So I, I think they are on that level in, in the medium that they're operating. Oh, in, yeah. You know what I mean? Because they're now maybe this is changing. You know, maybe it will eventually change. I, I don't think to the common man, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby are household words although stan's definitely gained uh, you know a, a, a higher level in recent days more common people know that name now than ever before but i, I don't know that it's still you know reached that level where you know you could you could mention you know paul mccartney john lennon or stan lee and and everybody's going to know who all three of those people are but I, I think it, you know, in the field that they operated in, that they were definitely, I, I think Stan and Jack are kind of considered to be the Beatles of comics, if you know what I mean. It's it's a it's a real peanut butter cup effect, you know. Yeah. It, 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 it's it's it, it. I've always noticed through our artistic collaboration that there's that's why, for years and years and years until finally we hit on the right idea i'd been after scott to do anything like dude we got to write a book we got to write a comic and you know but nothing was like really like the perfect thing to do you know being states and states away from each other until podcasting but as soon as he was like want to do a podcast i was like sure because i know that he and i we don't, you know, we, I mean, we discuss how we're going to do shows and stuff, but even how we discuss stuff and put stuff together, we know how each, it's not that we are alike in our tape, but we know how, what, how each other are going to look and, and think of a good example is the other day we were discussing a future show and people were throwing out suggestions and I saw one suggestion and I said, that's not going to fly with Scott. <laughs> He's got. He's not gonna want to do that. And, I, and you know, instantly, I just knew you were gonna be like, "Nah, I don't. I don't want to do that part of, of that." And uh, that's why we work together well in podcasts. And you can have, and the stuff that I do with other people and separately, and the stuff that you do separately is different. You know, it's different than the stuff we do 
together and that and with when you end up i mean you can find so many bands that were together and i mean the beatles are the most just you know top of the heap um example of it but where bands have broken up and then all the members form other bands and have solo careers that you follow and you're like oh okay that's pretty good you know but Mm -hmm. it's not until you put that combination of them together that it makes a certain flavor that you can't get you know without without the other people it's it's a very it's a very human thing the the collaboration thing And, and it's a rare and when you have that super collaboration of two people that they really work out well you get the you get like stuff like marvel comics basically getting formed out of you know that that collaboration in a way you know a good example of that would be you know you and scott on star wars monthly monday is kind of like jack and stan whereas Tales is more Stan and Steve Ditko. I mean, it's not an A for A <laughs> kind of comparison, but it's just like something gelled with those two people on those properties. You know, I guess Scott, since he's the common denominator, it gets to be it, Stan, so we get to be the crazy people. We get to be the crazy ones. <laughs> you're the guy. You're the guy filled with crazy ideas, and I'm the guy that wants to go down on Ayn Rand. So uh, you win in this in this argument. By the way, oh, Just you to want to end up with a mouthful of dust. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search 2TrueFreaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, 
said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.